I just remembered that the one time I went to Disney World with my mom, I insisted on talking with a British accent the entire time we were there. Y'all, God bless moms because they put up with a lot of nonsense. Hello, and welcome back to the Not My Will But Yours podcast. I am Elle Johnson, and today is Christmas, the day that I am recording this, so Merry Christmas. I hope that yours was wonderful, and I hope you got to spend it with family, and if you didn't, just know that Jesus was with you. Better times are coming, and if you did get to spend it with your family, praise God and rejoice in that, and be thankful for those memories that you are able to make. I did get to visit with my mom's side of the family last night, Christmas Eve, after we went to the church candlelight service. It was wonderful, and my daughter got to open some presents. She was really excited. She thought that everything that she opened was going to be a Minnie Mouse, and when it was, she was super excited. When it wasn't, she was still excited, but whenever she saw a Minnie Mouse, she was really excited. And my brother who is the real MVP, he got me another microphone for my podcast. So eventually, hopefully, I'll be able to have a guest, someone talking with me alongside, and that will be really fun. I'm going to figure out how to use the second mic because the program that I use right now needs an additional program to be able to use two mics. So very boring, techie stuff that I don't know anything about. So my brother is wonderful and he has experience with using two mics and to record. So he's going to help me. So thank you very much. And we'll try and get that all figured out soon enough. I'm just really excited to have that equipment. So that'll be exciting. If anyone has any suggestions for people that they would like to hear on the podcast or hear from, then let me know. I'll do whatever I can to ask around and that'll be fun. I thought maybe bringing my mom on would be kind of fun. And then of course my husband and then maybe my sister-in-law and her fiance. Hint, hint. Um, I think that uh, he listens to this. So if you're interested, let me know. This year was the first Christmas that my husband and I actually stayed up late putting something together for my daughter. And this year it was a Bronco, like an electric Ford Bronco that she can drive around. It's only like two and a half miles per hour. And right when we took it out of the box, we were so overwhelmed that we thought we were going to be up until midnight. So I looked at the clock and it was 9:20. I looked at the clock to make sure I was like, okay, I'm going to look and see how long it takes us. The directions were horrible. And so YouTube came to the rescue and there is this guy and it's like assembly pro or something like that. And he assembles, I don't know what all he assembles. The only video I watched was this one, but it seems like maybe he goes through and assembles things and does a demonstration. That saved us so much time. I was so grateful for that. And we got it done in less than an hour. I mean, we had called, we were calling his parents who live in the same, on the same property as us, almost begging them to come and help us. But they were doing their own thing. They were watching a Christmas movie. So we did it on our own and we got it done. And I was so happy that we weren't up till midnight because your girl does not like to stay up late. We got it done and it was awesome. And she has been playing with that all morning. So it's been awesome. She actually doesn't know how to steer it yet really well, if at all. (laughs) So we've kind of have to intervene and whoop, whoop the wheel around so that she doesn't go too far off course. She has 
crashed into things, but again, it only goes two and a half miles an hour, so it's okay. She's learning to drive that thing, mainly just push the pedal (laughs) and turn it on and off. I was bringing her back home from my in-laws in it, and I was having to steer the whole time, like, as I'm running to catch up with her because she is so preoccupied with this chapstick. I got this chapstick like a Blistex in my stocking at my in-law's house and she's so obsessed with it. That's the main thing that she's been playing with is this chapstick and she just keeps putting on her, like she's not even like eating it or anything. I would think normally a two-year-old would do that, would just eat it, but she's not. She's actually putting it on her lips and it's so cute and so funny, but she was doing that the whole time I was taking her down back to our house and she was pushing the pedal. So she was pushing the pedal, applying her chapstick, and I'm having to drive the thing down the driveway. And it was actually really difficult, (laughs) but she loves it. So that's awesome. And it wasn't super hard to put together, which is another win. So those are two wins for us and a win for YouTube for being there to save the day. But today I really wanted to talk about marriage. And I've asked my husband if he would tell me what marriage means to him, what the important things are to have in a marriage. And so here we go. This is Jonathan. Marriage means to me trust, loyalty, strength, and a lot of putting up with each other. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jonathan. And always dealing with the wife's abundance of clutter. Okay, okay, okay. You're good. You can go now. <laughs> Jonathan and I actually didn't meet until we were 25. He isn't here to tell his side of the story, so I'm only going to focus on my point of view of the story kind of up until we met because it may be very similar to someone else's story or it may give somebody a little glimmer that you don't always meet people in high school. You don't always meet people in college. Don't give up that hope. But also we did get married when we were 26. That is kind of young-ish. People sometimes also don't meet until a little bit later in life. And then of course, if you don't ever get married, that's perfectly fine too. There's no cookie cutter thing that you have to do. You don't have to get married young. You don't have to get married when you're older. You don't have to get married at all. This is just our story and our perspective, more so my perspective, since he again isn't here to tell his side of the story. We actually met through our parents. Our parents grew up together. My mom and his mom lived near each other when they were in school and they rode the same school bus that entire time because I don't think either one of them moved. So they knew each other. They just got reacquainted 2010? I don't know, some, some, at some point right after we graduated, which I graduated in 2010 and so did he, they got reacquainted. And so they started kind of hanging out with a bunch of their old school friends or schoolmates. They would go out to dinner every Tuesday night and I would go, once I had moved to be closer to my mom, I started going with her because I was lonely and it was a way for me to get out of the house. So I would go to eat with them. Also, Jonathan would be there. And I was so, and and still am, shy and introverted. So I wouldn't really say anything and I wouldn't really talk to anybody except for my mom and my stepdad. And so I would just sit there and then right after I was done eating, I would leave. And I would never talk to Jonathan. I saw him across in the different booth and he was always with his friend and then sometimes his sisters would be there who were younger and so I always I always just thought that him and his friend thought I was weird and so I never would talk to them or anything I thought that they were like way too cool for me and so I would never say anything and I guess he kind of thought I was like snobby or something because I didn't ever talk and I would just kind of leave that's how we knew about each other and so one time he one day he just decided to message me on Facebook and 
I, w- I was excited. I was like, cool, you know? And I wasn't seeing anybody at the time. I had, you know, gone on like dates, but not, I wasn't seeing anybody. I wasn't dating anyone at the time. So it neither was he, obviously. So he reached out to me on Facebook and we messaged back and forth and we kind of bonded over the show Survivor because we were both watching. It was on at the time and we were both watching it, which is really cool. It was either that, it was either on at the time or I was watching old seasons because I know that I was watching Survivor and we had talked about Survivor, but I don't remember if it was an old season or if it was on at the time. So we bonded over that and then he, and then of course we exchanged numbers and he texted me and then one day he called me and I answered and I said, did you mean to call me? Because in my experience, nobody wants to talk on the phone. So if you're texting a guy or something or messaging them, they just want to stay messaging or texting. They don't want to actually call and like talk or anything. And so at that point, I was like, oh, he's actually interested in me. He wants to actually have a conversation. That was a sign. I was like, okay, okay, he's he's serious. So we talked on the phone and we would talk on the phone for a while. Then finally we went out together and we went to eat sushi and he had something in his eye the entire time. He's really funny about his eyes. Like if he has anything in his eye, it's like the end of the world. It it just completely throws him off if he has something in his eye. And he had something in his eye the entire time. He came to pick me up and then we went to eat sushi and he was just messing with his eye like the entire time. But we ended up having a good time. And then, no, okay, wait, wait, wait. The first time that we actually hung out was bowling with my mom's friends which sounds lame but it was actually fun we his mom purposefully which I didn't know until later on purposefully saved me a spot on on their bowling lane so that we could talk and so they actually have a picture which is a super embarrassing picture of him and I sitting in the bowling lane just like next to each other and it's really awkward looking (laughs) but we had fun and then we played like air hockey and his friend ended up being there so I think he loosened up a little bit because his friend was just there with his girlfriend at the bowling alley and so that was fun then we went on a date we went to eat sushi that was just the two of us together and then we went bowling again which was with his church at the time. So we went to that. And then I know that we went to the drive-in theater and we watched, I don't remember what, London is Fallen maybe? I don't know, but I think we just mainly talked the whole time. And then I don't really remember any of the next dates, but after that, it was pretty much that we were going to be together. And then we went camping. So I went camping with his parents and him, his whole family, and they have a, they had, at the time, their camper had an extra room. So it was like a mother-in-law suite. I stayed in there. I think at that point, I kind of knew that I was going to be with them because it was just such a natural thing. I was nervous, obviously. I never was so overwhelmed that I wouldn't hang out with him because to go with someone's family on a vacation or like camping or something is like a huge deal to me. And it's like that they really want to invite you into their private circle of people and their life. And that was really awesome. And I feel like I just fit right in right before we got there is when he officially asked me to be his girlfriend or whatever (laughs) and so so that camping trip was it was so much fun and we go camping to this day that was my first time ever camping but it's like in an rv it wasn't in a tent i've camped in a tent before but that's a different story fast forward some i don't really remember how but i just started staying at his at their house he lived with his parents at the time he had the house that we live in now was on the property, but it wasn't 
finished. It wasn't updated because it was just an old house that had been moved here. It wasn't livable. So somehow, and I don't remember how this actually played out, and I think that's one of the things when you know that someone is right for you because people things just start playing out and it's you don't even really have to try. It's just kind of flows, which is the opposite of every other experience I'd had with a a guy was that I was trying to force it. I mean, it was like a puzzle piece that didn't go, that didn't even belong in the same puzzle, and you're trying to fit it in that one spot, and you can't even push it hard enough to make it fit. There's one example. If you're doing that right now, if you're in, you know, high school, or if you're in college, or just got out of college, young adult, or if you're in your 30s, or 40s, or 50s, or 60s, and you're dating, and you're trying to force something, then just move on. It's not worth it, because in a dating relationship, it's always kind of foreshadowing of how a marriage would be. So if you're trying to force it, don't because then you, that's the that's what you're going to be doing the entire relationship and it's not worth it. So that was a kind of an indicator for me because everything just kind of flowed and his parents just kind of accepted me in. They kind of are just really accepting people. They just I don't know how to explain it, but it it kind of reminds me of that family that always has someone different at their dinner table, or you're always welcome to come over for dinner, whoever you are. That's kind of how it reminded me of, is just kind of like welcoming. I ended up somehow, I don't know how, not wanting to go home because I lived by myself. So I ended up staying there and I would, I slept on the floor in Jonathan's room. And that actually lasted for six months. I just, I just didn't want to go home. And so I didn't want to be by myself. I had been by myself for so long. I was so lonely. And I had actually, at that point, right before we went on our first date, I kid you not, I remember I was driving home from Starbucks on a weekend and I was like, I'm going to stop trying to make dating work. I'm just going to stop trying to force things. I am going to focus on me and my dogs and that's what I'm going to do. Whatever happens, happens. And I, I'm not even kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Shortly after that, I met Jonathan. I'd known about him, but that's when we went on our first date. If you are struggling with finding somebody and that's what your heart wants is to find somebody, then just kind of stop putting that pressure on yourself. And so then we started dating in March, got engaged in August, and then got married in December. 2016. So it was really fast, but it's kind of like he says, when you know, you know, and it's really true. It just kind of works and it's not something that you force and it's just kind of home. It just, it feels like home. So I started living on my own when I graduated from high school. I moved to Oklahoma State University to go to college, which you guys have heard this story, but I did move back home after one year of going to Oklahoma State University and I moved in to the house that I lived in when I was a senior in high school but my mom had moved out of that house. My uncle, my mom's brother, was actually living in that house so I ended up moving back into the same house in my same bedroom and everything but instead of my mom being there my uncle and my aunt were there so I was on my own. They weren't there to look after me or anything like that. I just lived there because I wanted to go back to Shakota, which is where I graduated high school. I moved back. I didn't have, the whole time I was at Oklahoma State, you know, I didn't have a boyfriend or anything like that. And, you know, this episode's going to focus on relationships, my romantic relationships. I didn't have a boyfriend or anything like that, which is perfectly fine with me. I did feel like I wanted that, 
but I'm glad I didn't have that in hindsight because I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable and I was not an asset to anybody. I was not even an asset to myself. It was horrible. I only wanted to stay in my dorm room, watch TV. I think I watched a lot of Monk. That used to be one of my favorite shows. I mean, I still like that show. It was like one of my favorite shows. And so for some reason, I just remember watching a lot of Monk and not wanting to get out of bed and not wanting to do anything. I, it was really hard for me to get out of bed. It was really hard for me to go to class and it was even harder for me to do work. I wouldn't have been an asset to any kind of relationship. I was barely an asset to the friend relationships that I had at that time, which have all fizzled out except for one. I'm still not even a very good friend to that person and I should be, but in all honesty, I'm not a very, I'm not a great friend. But, um, and I think a lot of people are like that too which kind of stinks. It's just life gets, you know, in the way and you move on and you do other things. I do still really care about that person. And she was my big in my sorority. So she's the only person that I kind of keep in contact with from college. Then I moved back home and I was so much happier just for the fact that I was somewhere I was familiar with. It reduced that anxiety because I had so much anxiety and depression that it reduced the anxiety of being outside of my comfort zone, put me back in my comfort zone where I could try and thrive and get through what I needed to get through. Getting out of your comfort zone is really important, but if it's debilitating you, if it's hindering your ability to, to thrive at all, then take a step back. And so that's what I did. I took a step back, went back home, and that's where I'm comfortable. And then I started going to Connor State College, which is a two-year school, and I actually really enjoyed it. I feel like I did thrive, my grades were great, you know, and I was on the path to go to nursing school. At this time, I still didn't have a romantic relationship. And to be honest, which I don't want to be, but this is this, this is what this is about, is about being honest, is that I had a very toxic relationship when I was around 18. A relationship where, and if, if you know anything about me in my personal life, then you'll know who this person is, but I'm going to do the best that I can to not identify this person because I only have my side of the story. I don't have their side of the story. I completely 100% lost myself. I did everything for this person. Everything. Everything in my being was to please this person and to get this person to love me back. I felt like I had to give that person everything, every ounce of my energy to get a tiny one ounce back. So I spent my senior year, then my freshman year at OSU, focused on this person, not myself and not anybody else. And looking back now that I know, because in the moment I had tunnel vision and I had, I think that a lot of high schoolers and maybe even people in university have tunnel vision where you can't see anything past the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks. Other than that, you don't see anything else. When you get to be an adult, when you get to be, you know, 30 plus, I would say, 28, 29, 30 plus, you start to see the world as a whole. You start to see your life as a whole. You start to realize the things that you did when you were younger that you would never, ever, ever, ever do now. And you start to realize that what is in the now isn't forever. So at the time, I thought this is my forever because I couldn't see past really the next day. Every ounce of every day was spent trying to get that person to appreciate me as much as I wanted to be appreciated. And I don't know why. I cannot tell you why. I have no idea except for the fact that I was desperate for that affection. That's the only reason that I know of because we weren't good for each other. We weren't even technically in a relationship. I felt that we were 
but he didn't. It was really a complicated scenario, and my entire being was spent trying to get him to appreciate me, which is extremely embarrassing to talk about. But if you're going through something similar right now where you're putting everything that you have into a relationship and they're not giving you anything or they're not giving you what you feel like you need, then let it go and move on because that's not how it's supposed to work. A relationship, a healthy relationship, and no relationship is perfect whatsoever. But when you're in a relationship where one person is giving a thousand percent and the other person is giving 10% or it's like pulling teeth to get them to even remotely feel like you're appreciated, then that's not okay. A real healthy relationship should be 100% and 100%. One person should give 100%, the other person should give 100%, especially in a marriage. And if you're in a relationship now where that's not happening and you're not married and you're thinking about getting married, either you need to have a talk, you gotta get it squared away where each person's giving 100% or move on. Because once you get married, things are magnified. So anything that kind of annoys you about somebody when you're dating or something like that, once you get married, once you mold these two lives together, you move in with each other, you're making everyday decisions together, ones that you don't even realize you have an opinion about. Everything is magnified. For example, the way that you fold your towels may not be the same way that they fold their towels. And they may have folded 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 is that right they may have folded their towels (laughs) I don't know if that that sounds weird they may have done that one way their entire life and that's how they do it but that's not how you do it and so you're like what in the world is going on so then you have to figure out okay well which way are we going to fold our towels or are we just going to let each other do it the way they want sometimes it's like this and sometimes it's like that how do they wash their clothes how do they do the dishes do they like doing the dishes because I personally cannot stand doing the dishes because I have a weird phobia of wet food and I hate it and I don't want to put my hands in it but my husband doesn't necessarily like doing the dishes either so I have some rubber gloves that I use to do the dishes and he also has some that he uses to do the dishes and we kind of switch off. I am not the best at doing laundry in the sense that I don't always put up the clothes where they belong. They sometimes stay in the laundry basket and that's not how he grew up. He grew up with them being put in his drawer being you know sorted out and put in his drawer. So those are two things that we have to work on that we're still working on and somehow his socks always go missing and I don't really know what happens though. It's like when I put them in the dryer, they go into some kind of dryer cloud and they just melt away. I don't know what happens to the socks, but they disappear and it's really odd. But anyway, I kid you not, after I said that, I pushed pause because Jonathan came and asked me if he had any matching socks because the socks that he's wearing, one is taller than the other. That was not planned. So a really important aspect of marriage is compromise. And that's really hard to do. It involves giving up part of how you've always done things to meet in the middle with the way that someone else has always done things. And it's weird because I do feel like that me and my husband were raised similarly, that we're not complete opposites, but still we had those things where it was like, oh, you do it this way? Oh, well, I do it this way. That's something that's really interesting and something that you need to keep in mind when you do get married, because there will be those little things that you kind of argue about or you realize that 
they have to have this a certain way or something like that. And those are all little tiny things. So just don't let those little tiny things get the better of you and just go into it knowing that you have, you're going to have to compromise. You're also going to have to communicate. You cannot compromise without communication. Your spouse cannot read your mind. And this is something that's really important because a lot of the time you have, or I guess me, I have a vision in my head of the way something is going to go. And he has a completely separate idea of the way that something's going to go. And they clash sometimes. And that's our fault because we didn't communicate to the other what our expectations were. Something to keep in mind is that you cannot read your spouse's mind and your spouse cannot read your mind. So if you're feeling something, if you're thinking something, verbalize it. And that is something very hard to do if you haven't done that up until that point, up until you got married. You're like, well, I didn't know I had to verbalize everything that I was thinking, but that's really important. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to figure out a compromise on these kinds of situations. So you got communication, compromise, and then trust. Trust is something that is so important in a marriage. I trust my husband 100%. I don't ever look at his phone, but if I wanted to, he would let me. And that's one thing that I think is really strange. No offense to anybody who does this, but I do think that for me personally, it's really strange when couples don't let each other look in their phones. Because a lot of the time, if I don't have mine, then I'm going to use his to look something up on Google or something like that. I don't ever go through his phone and he doesn't ever go through mine, but if he wanted to, then more power to him. Go ahead. It doesn't matter to me. I have absolutely nothing to hide from you because you're my spouse. I genuinely feel the same way about him. Now, if they're hiding something, then that's something you have to address and that's something really serious. So, that's something that you have to address because you have to have open trust. You're not willing to be completely open with this person and trust them 100%, then you got some things you got to work out because it's extremely important and it's going to reduce a lot of anxiety and a lot of tension and turmoil that distrust brings along. I know that when I was younger and I was in a relationship, this person would always hide their phone from me and I knew that they were talking to other girls. And so I do have a little bit of an insecurity in that sense. The times that my husband jokingly would hide his phone from me, I had to tell him that that's something that I really struggle with because that's something that happened in a previous relationship where that person was talking to other girls and he was doing stuff with other girls. So that's something that I do have an insecurity about, but I don't even ask to look at his phone. And if I did, he would let me go through it. That's another thing is trust. You got to be able to trust that when they go out, if they were going to go out with their friends or something like that, that they're loyal to you. Loyalty is another important aspect. That when they go out, you trust that they're not going to do anything to break that, that they choose you every single day in everything that they do. And if you don't have that going into a marriage, then that's something that can be detrimental down the line. So you need to establish that trust. And I know that I've talked to my husband about it where he trusts me 100% to go out if I was to go out with my friends. And he he wants me to. He's like, why don't you ever go out with your friends? And to be honest, I'm just someone who likes to be at home. That's where my anxiety is the most under control, is at home. I think it's different when you don't trust the people around them versus you not trusting them. Because if you don't trust them, then that's really something that needs to be addressed before the marriage. It really can unravel a marriage really quickly down the line. No marriage is perfect. You're always going to be working on things. You constantly have to choose that person every single day. You choose your spouse. You choose to be loyal to your spouse. 
you choose to trust your spouse. Because like I mentioned in previous episodes, humans don't drift towards holiness. They drift towards worldliness. And there's always, always going to be temptations. So you have to choose a marriage that follows the life of Jesus, that has God as the foundation, that has trust, that has loyalty, that you're able to compromise, that you have communication, and that you have love. You have to choose that because if you start to drift, it is so easy to get caught up in what the world wants you to think is important versus what God thinks is important. And the most important thing that you should have, which we had this, but not as strong as it is now, is a foundation based on God. If you have a foundation based on God, then that is your strongest, most structurally sound foundation you can possibly have. If you're on the same page, you're reading the same book, and you're both following God, you're both loving God, trying to follow the path that Jesus has paved for you, then that's going to be extremely hard to break. Now, my husband and I did go to church when we were dating, and he's gone all his life. I've gone, I've been a believer all my life, but I, you know, had times where I wasn't going and times where I was, you know, was going and things like that. But now we are building our relationship back on that foundation. We didn't have that strong of a God foundation when we first got married. And I think that if we had started with that, we wouldn't have hit some of the bumps that we did along the way. But now that we do, we have that, we're building that foundation with each other. Something that we started doing, which is Something that's really hard to do is whenever you're having an argument, stop the argument, grab hands, and pray. It's extremely hard because in the moment, your human emotions take over and you don't want to fight it. You don't want to fight the anger. You don't want to fight the arguing. You don't want to fight what your viewpoint is on the situation. That's how humans are. So you have to consciously make the decision to break through the anger and the annoyance and just let go and pray. And we did that the other day when we were having a little argument and it made all the difference. And it was hard. It was hard to surrender and to let go of the annoyance that we had to pray. And it really did make a huge difference. I am so thankful for God and for Jesus for being there for us, that we have that option to give it to them and let them have that that way we can work through it and that was really powerful and something that we're going to continue to do even though it's really hard it's super beneficial so if you can do that even before you get married then you are on a path for success you are on a such a path for a a successful marriage if you can do that before you get married when you're dating when you're engaged then that's awesome you do Bible studies together. That's what we've started doing. We have missed a few days. I will be honest with you. We don't do it every single day. We're striving for that. But if you do a little Bible study with each other at night, then that's going to set you up for success. These are little things that you can do that are going to set you up for success in a marriage. If you're married right now, these are things that you can implement into your life that will help it. Stopping and praying, doing a Bible study, it's only going to help you. And that's beautiful our marriage isn't perfect we want it to be as seamless as possible but it's never going to be perfect but we choose each other every single day so that's something that you have to be solid 
solid with that person that this is the person that I'm going to choose every single day. And I'm going to build that foundation with them and not allow it to break. And if it does break, I'm going to fix it. Something that is inevitable in the world is divorce. It just happens sometimes. And that's okay because sometimes it's the best option. Don't go into a marriage putting that in the back of your head that if this doesn't work out, we'll just get divorced. It's not a big deal. Because then you're setting yourself up for failure. Go in with the mindset that this is the person I'm going to choose every day. This is the person that I want to build my life with. This is the person that I want to worship God with. This is the person I want to grow with. This is the person I want as my child's role model. If you decide to have children, if you don't, that's perfectly fine. But if you do decide to have children, this is the person that's going to be their role model. They're going to do the same things that they do because my daughter is two and she is a copycat. She copies everything that people do. So is that what you want for your kid? Is this the spouse that you want your child to model their life after? Marriage is hard, but marriage is wonderful too. My husband and I, we have some great times together, a lot of great times together. I love having him here. I love being around him. If I didn't like being around him, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have married him. Um, you know, he does stink sometimes. <laughs> he does burp sometimes, you know, neither one of us are perfect. I'm sure those things go for me too. But I do want to talk about what the Bible says about marriage because there are some things in the Bible that people do tend to have different viewpoints on. Okay, this first commentary comes from ChristianCounselorDirectory.com and it was written this year, March 30th, 2001, 2001, 2021. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Both husbands and wives are to be submissive to one another. Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. That's the verse. Here's the rest of the commentary. In some traditions, this passage is read on the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's. It is known as Elbow Sunday. <laughs> some husbands like to elbow their wives jokingly to pay attention to those words. Yet, the misinterpretation of this passage and its foundation to the history of Christian marriage theology over the centuries is nothing to joke about. Cultural grooming of women to be submissive to men from an early age could may as well be a story from a family in Eastern Europe, Africa, or the United States, from virtually anywhere. The above scriptural passage must not be taken out of context. It must be seen together with the next 10 verses, especially this one. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So we have Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Let me go ahead and read the whole thing. This is going to be the NLT because we know that's what we go for on this podcast. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Here we go. For wives, this means to submit well, we'll just start with 21. In my version, it says spirit-guided relationships, wives and husbands. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, 
so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as the glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illusion of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So let's go back to the commentary that we are reading from Christian Counselor Directory. There are many cases of identified domestic violence and abuse perpetuated by men that can be traced to cultural grooming, which resolutely denies the latter part of this passage. You must love your wife as Christ loved the church. And even greater numbers of marriages where women have been afraid to speak out against abuse due to deference? Deference. Why is English so hard? Deference, says Google. Okay, deference. It seems like it should be defiance. To their husbands, how deeply did Christ love the church? So deeply that he died for the church. Husbands thereby are called to live selflessly, to serve, protect, and die for their wives. Husbands and wives, therefore, are called to be submissive to each other. This mutual respect is the foundation of intimacy. Is the husband still called to be the head of the household? Yes, but it must be done with utmost respect and a submissive attitude. So what this is saying is that, yes, wives should respect their husbands, but ultimately, husbands need to treat their wives as Christ treated the church. If you think of Jesus Christ, you don't, at least I don't, think of someone who is mean and aggressive and demanding and hateful and argumentative. Those aren't words that are associated with Jesus Christ. When I think of Jesus Christ, I think of someone who is caring compassionate, loving, humble, and trustworthy, and loyal. Those are the characteristics that I see in Jesus Christ. Husband and wife are a team. You're in it together. You're in it to win it. You're in it. You're in it together. You're in it to spread the word of the Lord. You're in it to build a better foundation for your family. You're in it to work together 100% and 100%. Not 50-50, not 60-40, 100 and 100 Okay, so this is co- comes from BibleRef.com, and it's again about Ephesians 5.22. And it says, on the topic of wives and husbands, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, has just mentioned the importance of mutual submission, mutual submission between all believers in verse 21. Here, he specifically applies this principle within the context of marriage. He begins with wives, Ephesians 5.22-24. And it is often taken drastically out of context 
and grossly misinterpreted. First, wives are to submit to their own husband. Women are not commanded to submit in a similar way to all men. However, all believers are called to practice a form of humble submission to one another, as noted in verse 21. Second, this principle is applied specifically within marriage. Those in dating relationships, social or employment contexts, where a woman with respect to another woman's husband are not included. Those male-to-female relationships do not carry the same level of expectation that Paul shares in this verse. You and your spouse. When you have committed your life to them and they to you before your family and God. This is what we're talking about. Submission is based on being as to the Lord. In other words, submission is not based on the character or performance of the other individual. Instead, there is an unconditional treatment of the husband based on love for him and for God. Wives are to show, the, to show love to their husbands regardless of whether they feel the husband deserves it. Though perhaps extremely difficult at times, this is the biblical ideal. It should also be noted that this deals with marriage, not abuse. Anyone in an abusive situation must seek personal safety as first priority. Nothing in Paul's teachings, here or elsewhere in the Bible, commands a woman to keep herself or her children physically available for spousal abuse. And that's so, that is so important. This is a mutual submission. The man must love the woman as Christ loved the church. And remember what we said about the characteristics of Jesus. And that doesn't include any of those abusive characteristics. That includes only loving kindness, humbleness, and respect, a mutual respect. And that's how marriage works. You mutually respect each other. You have a firm foundation based on the love of God and the love of Jesus. And you build on that. Working on your relationship with God is never done. That work is never done. Doing work for the kingdom is never done. It's a constant. My husband and I, I'm going to speak for him and I'm going to let him listen to this section to make sure that he agrees with this before I post it. My husband and I work as a team. The man is no more important in our relationship than the woman. It doesn't matter what our jobs are. Our goals are the same. Our goal is to love God, to protect our daughter, to protect each other, and to keep our family as strong as possible and it's an everyday thing now of course there are times where somebody gets sick or someone has a surgery or somebody you know this or that where somebody does have to step up and take on more responsibility but in the opposite situation where the other person's down the other person has to step up because that's a mutual respect and it has to happen in order for a marriage to flourish as long as you and your spouse keep your eyes on God and on the path that Jesus wants for you and build that foundation, implement little things to help you here and there, then you won't fail. It'll be hard, but it'll be wonderful. But just know that God is with you and he is there to help you and guide you. And don't waste that. Take advantage of that. Build that relationship with him. Call him a friend. Talk to him. Pray for your spouse. And that brings me into my movie suggestion for this week, which is War Room. It's one of the Kendrick Brothers movies. We watched it not too long ago, just a few weeks ago. 
and it is such a good movie for marriage it show there are some cheesy parts i'm not gonna lie just embrace them it's fine (laughs) but the movie in itself is so wonderful because it shows a marriage where one of the spouses has drifted towards the worldly things in life and has allowed his human emotion to take over. It is such a powerful movie for marriage. So if you haven't seen War Room, go ahead and check that out. And then my song recommendation for this week is Battle Belongs by Bethel Music. It starts out saying, when all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see a mountain moved. You just give it over to God. He sees the victory when we all we see is the battle. And the version that I really like is on the Peace Volume 2 album. This song does have quite a few versions, but the version that I'm currently listening to is on the Peace Volume 2 album. So give that a listen and give War Room a watch. I believe you can find it on Amazon. If you have anything you'd like to share, you can send it to let's talk pod at yahoo.com there will be links to the articles mentioned as well as some resources down in the show notes and i hope that you have a wonderful week and i will talk to you next time see ya Yes, I looked up the definition of deference and it is humble submission and respect. He addressed her with the deference due to age. So now I understand what that word means and it shouldn't have been defiance. Bye.